Hallelujah. I've got a little over a half hour to preach a one hour message, so we got to get going. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I was, uh, I'd mentioned to you last Sunday, uh, and Pastor John mentioned it two weeks ago, Shelly and I were in Mexico, and uh, somebody asked me today, how was Mexico? I said, well, if you like warm weather, beaches, ocean, too much food, then you would have liked it. If you don't like that stuff, you would have never liked this time. So anyway, uh, there was that. And then uh, over the weekend, uh, well, last week on Monday, I flew to Tulsa for some meetings uh, in Tulsa, the Winter Bible Seminar, Raymond Bible College that we graduated from and many others in this church have. And they do a, a series of meetings which were powerful, just really, really awesome. And then uh, there were some meetings I had to go to for the role that I play with uh, RMAI churches in Minnesota. And so uh, when I got there on Monday, it was about <clears throat> 71 degrees. It was awesome, beautiful breeze, just really, really nice. By Tuesday afternoon, it was 16 degrees. It was sleeting sideways. It hurt outside. I mean, literally, it was pelting me. And people in Oklahoma don't know how to drive. Actually, I had a hard time driving on it because it was slushy ice. Uh, and it was horrible, 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 horrible weather. And uh, it just got worse. And then everything that fell froze. And, and I had some really hard shoes on. I left them in Tulsa. They were so bad. I just said, forget it. I'm not wearing these shoes ever again. I, I almost ended up on my keister several times. And uh, others did. It was actually kind of funny. But it wouldn't have been funny if I fell. But anyway, regardless, the whole reason I'm telling you that is that on Tuesday, I'm, I'm, I looked at my phone Tuesday afternoon. And I saw that I had a message from American Airlines. And American Airlines was telling me my route. First of all, my route was I went from Minneapolis to Chicago to Tulsa. My return route was Tulsa to Dallas and then to Minneapolis. And they were telling me, my flight was supposed to be on Thursday, they were telling me that my Thursday flight from Dallas to Minneapolis was canceled. And I'm like, praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Now what do I do? And so I'm reading the, the, the little note, and it says, if you would like to reschedule a flight, click the link. Okay. So I clicked the link. And it gave me a menu of flights that were available. And so I'm looking at, well, this is the shortest one. Most I'm going to take that one. And it said, okay, your flight is now confirmed. And I was like, wow, that was really easy. That was, that was painless. I mean, that was so, so simple. And some of you are looking at me right now like, yeah. <laughs> so no price at all. They changed it for free. That apparently made you more impressed than the whole thing I just told you about. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, when it's a weather-related issue, they, they don't charge you for that because it's their deal for canceling a flight. And I'm all for safety when I'm on a plane. But anyway, uh, um, and, and like I said, some of you are like, yeah, so what? We're, we can do everything on our phones now. And I started thinking, what did people do 20 years ago? I mean, did you just go to the airport and find out your flight was canceled, turn around and go back home? I mean, what? how did they communicate with people back then? Which, which just, you know, and if you would have told somebody 20 years ago that you would be using something that looked like this to, to, to make all of your travel arrangements, they thought, that's impossible. That's crazy. That's crazy talk. When I went from, from Minneapolis to Chicago, I had, a, I had a 5.30 flight, which means I had to be there like at 3 in the morning or 4 in the morning, and then, wow, wow, first world problems. But anyway, I had a three-hour layover in Chicago, and I, I started doing the math. I realized that it took me longer to get from Minneapolis to Tulsa than it did for Shelly and I to get from Minneapolis to Mexico. And then I started thinking, well, what did they do in the 1800s? I mean, they traveled in a wagon, and it took four to six months to get from one side of this nation to the other side of this nation. 
Can you imagine going back in time and telling somebody that's on the middle of a wagon train, they're somewhere in Iowa, they broke down. That's how people ended up in Iowa. They broke down there, didn't want to fix a wheel, and they just, you know, they, they became settlers. We settled here because we didn't want to go any farther. It's the only reason they're in Iowa. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> that's how settlers became settlers. They was like, man, we're tired of moving. We're going to just make something grow here. Anyway, can you imagine telling some of those settlers that, that in 100 years you'll be able to go from the East Coast to the West Coast in about three or four hours? They'd have thought, you're crazy. That's impossible. It can't possibly happen. There's no way. And then you try to explain how it's going to happen. How do you explain a jet engine? The only engine in their brain is either an engine, an Indian, <laughs> or a train locomotive. How in the world are you going to get a train locomotive to fly? Because that's all the frame of reference that they had. And you try to, try to help them understand a metal tube that is going to go through the air. They're going to think, you're crazy. You're stupid. With our phones right now, if you would have talked to a NASA scientist in the late 50s or early 60s, and they had just put a rocket into space. And you told them that you will have in the palm of your hand as much computing power as it took for them to get a rocket off the ground and up into the atmosphere. They just said, that's impossible. And if you would have added, and the people today, they're going to use it to play games on their phone. That's all they're going to do with it. All this computing power, and they're going to play games. That's it. They just said, you're crazy. It's impossible. How many of you understand that there are things today that are normal, things today that are just so normal, we just do it all the time, that just a few years ago, people would have thought you're crazy to mention it. People would have thought it's impossible. Anybody, anybody understand that? Do we see that today? That there's things that were impossible just a few years ago that today we are enjoying and embracing. And so in this series that we're going to talk about, I want to go over to well, the book of Luke, and in Luke chapter 20, uh, in Luke chapter, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 17, still on Luke, the other one, uh, in Matthew chapter 17, we're going to look at a couple of scriptures, but I want to give you a little backstory to help set up what was going on here. In, in, in Matthew chapter 17, we have what is known as the transfiguration. Jesus was on the mountain. He brought his three trusted disciples. Uh, Peter, Peter, James, and John were up there with him, and, and he was transfigured. His, his body became luminescent, white, powerful, just all kinds of things were, were going on. And then to make matters even greater, uh, uh, Moses and Elijah showed up. And Peter's like, oh, baby, this is really awesome. This is so good. This, let's just build some tabernacles. We're just going to stay here. This is so awesome in the presence of God. So many cool things are happening. We can't believe our eyes. But down in the, in the valley at the bottom of the mountain, there was some drama that was going on. There was a man who showed up with his son, and his son was uh, uh, being demonized, and this demon that was in his son was trying to kill his son. It's, uh, the Bible tells, you can read this later, the Bible says that the that, that demon would, would, would force or throw the, uh, the son into a fire or into the water in, in order to kill him. And so this father had brought his son to the disciples of Jesus that were remaining, the other disciples that we never hear about, and there's maybe a reason why. But anyway, uh, we, we, we don't hear about these guys, and he brings his son to these disciples, and the disciples couldn't help him. The disciples couldn't do anything about it. So when Jesus gets down to the bottom of the mountain, he's a little bit upset with his disciples. And basically, he's saying, you guys need to know how to handle this stuff. You guys need to know how to deal with this stuff. I'm not going to be with you forever. I'm going to be leaving pretty soon, and it's up to you to understand how to do some of these things that I'm now doing. And Jesus ministered to the boy. The boy was healed, and he was set free, and everybody's like, yee Well, then we pick up the story 
And uh, in, 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 verse chapter, in verse 19, the disciples came to Jesus in private and asked, why couldn't we drive it out? How come we couldn't do what you did? Now, we understand in, in, in the previous couple of verses, not only was Jesus a little bit upset with them, but Jesus expected them to do something about the situation. So they said, why couldn't we drive it out? And he replied, because you have so little faith. Other translations, older translations will say, because of your unbelief. He went on and he said, truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there. And that's the series title that we're dealing with over the next five weeks, from here to there. From here to there. And Jesus said... Uh, uh, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, nothing will be impossible to you. It will move, nothing will be impossible to you. So I want to address some things as we begin this series and, and talk about a couple of things, because I've heard over the years many, many, many arguments about this verse. I've heard people use it in a condemning way. Well, if you just had a little bit more faith. I've, and people resist that. They don't, obviously, they don't like that. It can feel a little bit condemning and intimidating when Jesus made the comparison, if your faith is the size of a grain of mustard seed, you can say something to the mountain and it'll move. And we're sort of like, man, I haven't made anything move. I mean, I don't even have a mustard-sized faith. I don't even have half a mustard-sized faith because nothing's ever happened. And then I've had people, heard people argue about what's the mountain? Or if you have such great faith, speak to the Rocky Mountains and move them. <laughs> My belief is all of those things distract from the point of what Jesus was trying to say. And we can argue about a lot of things about that verse, and I'm not into arguing about things like that. And here's what I believe with all of my heart. And I think that if we would look at this verse in this text, honestly, we would come to this conclusion that the problem that Jesus was addressing is that the disciples couldn't handle a problem that Jesus expected them to handle. And the reason they couldn't is because they didn't have enough faith. Anyone? There was a problem. Jesus expected them to handle the problem, but they couldn't handle the problem because they had a lack of faith or because their faith was too small. And if you come away from that text that with any other idea of what possibly could be going on and what kind of upset Jesus a little bit, I, I, I just, I, I, I want to caution and be careful. I was almost going to say, you know, go and talk to Pastor Tim about it because, you know, he would want to hear all the reasons why Jesus wasn't doing what I think he was doing. No, we're just kidding with that. But, but here's what I think. I think the mountain, everybody say mountain. I think the mountain is whatever it is that you determine right now in your life to be impossible. The mountain is whatever it is. It's between your ears. It is not a physical mountain. Certainly God could move a mountain. Uh, I'm not sure that he's going to. Eventually mountains are going to move, but it's as a result of the last days and those kinds of things. Those, those things. But I think that the mountain that Jesus is talking about is the thing. It is the mountain that resides in our thinking. It is the mountain that resides between our ears. It is the things that we deem to be too difficult, too hard, or too big for God. They're too big for us. And so I'm going to ask you to use your imagination for just a couple of moments this morning. How many of you still have an imagination? 
All right, about half of you. I imagine all of you will eventually, but anyway. Uh, I want you to use your imagination for a moment. I want you to answer this question in, in your thinking, in your thought life. What is it that's impossible to me right now? Just take a moment. I'm going to wait for you. What is it that's impossible to me right now? What's impossible? In fact, I would encourage you to write it down. What's impossible to me right now? What is it that I have already deemed that couldn't ever happen? Again, I think that the, the, the mountain is whatever we deem or determine to be impossible. And Jesus said, and I think he used the seed. He's at the bottom of the mountain. Don't know how big the mountain was, but I think he's standing there and he said, he's comparing the greatness of the mountain. And he said, if your seed, something so small and insignificant, if your seed of faith, if that's all that you have, it is enough. That seed of faith, that little seed of faith is big enough to accomplish great things. It is big enough to accomplish powerful things. It is enough to accomplish impossible things. So what is it that you've already determined is impossible. Are you ready to move on? Got it pictured in your thinking? Ephesians 3.20 says this. Now to him, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. God is able to do exceeding and abundantly, immeasurably more than all that we can ask or all that we can imagine. He can do more. How many of you believe that? He can do more than we could ask or we could imagine. So let me ask you another question. What are you asking God for? What do you imagine that God can do? We read the scripture earlier this morning about men's hearts failing them because of the expectations of things that are coming. Are we using our imagination, and I want to be careful how I say these things, but are we, are we allowing our imaginations to run wild? Are we allowing our imaginations to create pictures and images of, of defeat, of despair, of impossible, of all kinds? Is that what we're using our imaginations for? Are we allowing the Holy Spirit to touch our imagination in such a way that we're seeing God do incredible things? That we're seeing God do doing the impossible on our behalf? So what is it that's impossible to me right now? Because God says, I can do exceeding and abundantly above that. I can do immeasurably more than you ask or that you think. So what's impossible to me right now? Some of you, maybe it's like, it's impossible for me to imagine that I could be debt free. That, that not only am I debt free, but that I've got more than enough. That's an impossible dream. Some of you, the idea that your family would be with you in church, they'd be all worse, not just in church because it's Easter or there's a funeral, but in church because they want to be there and they're worshiping Jesus. That's impossible to you. That doesn't seem like anything that could, it is beyond reality. We've already established there are things that are common today, normal today, that people thought were impossible before. Some of you, the idea of of, of not going to bed depressed or discouraged, but waking up with joy, being refreshed, that's impossible to you. It seems like so far away. You wish it would happen, but it's never happened. Others of you that deal with addictions or you know people that deal with addictions, the idea that perhaps they could spend, you know, get a, a chip or a token that says they've been sober for 10 years, ha, that's a pipe dream. What is it that we think is impossible? Because God can do immeasurably more then all that we ask or all that we think, all that we ask or all that we think. But if we're not asking and if we're not thinking, if we're not imagining, God can't do anything. 
You say, all right, I'll let God do whatever it is that he wants. God do exceeding abundantly more. There's more to this verse. He goes on in verse 20. And he says this. I'll read it again. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to. I like to say the phrase in direct proportion to. According to his power, his power, his power. Boy, that's a place of rest, church. It's not my power, not my strength, not my ability, not my wisdom. It's his power. It's his strength. It's his ability. It's his wisdom. According to the power that works in us, that word work is the Greek word energeo. Mentioned this many, many times. It is the Greek word energeo, which simply means to energize. God can do immeasurably more than we ask or think according to the power that we can energize. His power that we can energize. His power that we can energize. I see Pat Lahr over here. I'm going to wake him up for a second. Pat, wake up. There he is. No, I'm messing with him. Pat Lahr, gets to, his job is to play in the dirt. And he gets to use great big machines to do it. Right? I mean, you got big scoop shovels and front-end loaders and trucks. and It's just like... When I was a kid, I had those things, the Tonka toys playing in the sandbox. He gets to do that as a job in real life. He let me drive one of his trucks one time. I drove it right over a car. It was awesome, just right over here in a parking lot. Actually, right about here, actually. <laughs> and uh, that was actually a lot of fun. Now, imagine that you have all of that, because you do. The power, if, if you're born again, if Jesus is on the inside of you, then you've got power on the inside of you. You've got the the life of God on the inside of you right now. The problem is we don't know how to activate it. We don't know how to stir it up. But we got that power available to us. So if you had all of the power of an earth mover like, like Pat does, and you had the key, you went into the cab, and you turned the key, and it boom, sprung to life, and you're sitting on all that power, and it's chugging away, and it's raring to go, it's ready to go, and you've got buttons and levers and knobs and all kinds of things. But if you don't have any dirt to move, then all of that power that's available to you is, is really, really worthless. It does you no good at all. Likewise, you have all of the power of the Godhead that's available to you. It's available to us. But if you don't have anything to move, if you don't have anything to move, then all of that power really is worthless to you. And so when we're talking about faith that moves the mountain from here to there, I'm not so concerned about mountain-moving faith. I'm concerned about a faith that moves you and it moves me. That it moves us to a point of transformation. That it moves us from people that are greedy to people that are generous. That it moves us to people from people that are afraid to share our faith with somebody. To tell somebody about Jesus. That there's a boldness in our life and there's a fruitfulness of our life. I'm talking about a faith that will move you from the point that you have this great gift on the inside of you that God has given to you that he wants you to use for productive use in his servant to actually doing it. To actually moving that's the kind of faith that we're looking for. And he said that power is available to, me, to us, but we have to activate it. How do we activate it to us? And I'm getting to a really, really, really good point that, I, that you cannot miss this morning. This is so simple. Yes, I like it. Praise God. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1, a scripture that we've talked about often. Now faith. Everybody say faith. faith. How many of you are people of faith? We use that phrase. Well, I'm a person of faith. What does that mean? I don't know. I believe I just believe. Some people, well, you know, they, what faith are you? Well, I'm a Baptist or I'm a Lutheran. I'm a, that's not Bible faith. 
It's an aspect of it, but it's not Bible faith. Hebrews 11, one is a great definition of Bible faith. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things not seen. Everybody say not seen. You need to know that your faith, your faith, your faith deals with things that you don't currently see or possess or have. If you see it or possess it or have it, some people say, well, I, I won't believe it until I have it. Well, then you don't need faith anymore. Faith deals with the unseen. And faith is two things. It is substance and it is evidence. It is the substance of things hoped for, which tells us hope, it's important, but it has no substance. Substance is like my cell phone. This cell phone has substance or, or it's tangible. You can touch it and feel it and see it. There's substance to it. The unseen doesn't have any substance to it. So faith is the substance of things hoped for. Faith puts substance into the thing that you're hoping for, the unseen thing that you're hoping for. Faith is the evidence of the thing. Evidence is something that you have when the thing isn't present. Evidence is what you have when the unseen isn't present. And so my faith is sort of a stand-in. My believing is sort of a stand-in for the thing that I don't see until the thing that I see has become manifest in my life. And so faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things not seen, and it is my faith that activates the power of God. And I'm gonna show you how simple this is, but I need you to stand up. Every person stand up for just a moment. I was laughing at myself when I was thinking about this. I, th I sometimes think I'm so funny. But anyway, <laughs> so here's what I want you to do. I'm gonna stand up here where you can maybe see me. I want everybody to take their both hands and go like this, all right? That's all you gotta do. Now I want you to shrug your shoulders like this. Try it again. Some of you are like, you're quick shruggers. Now I want you to say, maybe. Try it again, maybe. I want to talk to you about maybe faith. When I was telling some of my, my faith friends my faith about maybe faith, they were like, wait a minute. We don't say maybe about faith. Yeah, we do. I'm going to show you a scripture in just a moment. But try it one more time. Maybe. Some of you think it's impossible to be debt-free, but maybe. Some of you think that the depression and discouragement that's in your life will never be gone, but maybe it can be. Some of you think that your family will never be with you in church, but maybe, maybe faith. You can be seated. 25 years or more than that, probably 29 years ago, I uh, heard of, of an exercise that you could do. Uh, and, and, and basically, this person said, write down 20 things that you would do if, if nothing was impossible to you. If you had every resource that you needed from wisdom to talent to ability to money, if, you had, if there were no obstacles at all, what would you do that would be impossible? And I wrote down 20 things, and, and I had to think hard to, to, to what would I do. And, and, and I wish, I, I've said this often, I wish I still had that list because, because within a matter of two years, several of those, in, in my thinking, impossible things came to pass. I should probably write another, I should probably write another, actually, I did write another list. I wrote down five things right here, somewhere. I wrote down five things that for some of us are impossible. The idea that you could bless your neighborhood, the idea that you yourself could be a blessed, that's impossible, I, that's too big, I'm, I'm afraid. The idea that I'm going to give money, <laughs> whatever, 
How are we as a church, how are we gonna, how are we gonna inspire young people to serve God with their gifts and talents in a way that they can be a blessing in other churches, perhaps going to full-time ministry? <sighs> Big churches do that, not this church. There's nothing impossible. Nothing is impossible. So what is it that's impossible to you right now? As you imagine it, as you think about it, I want you to see yourself going, maybe, maybe. Just maybe it could happen because that's hope. Maybe is hope. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. Faith puts substance into hope because hope has no substance of its own. But if you don't have any hope, and you may say, I have all the faith in the world, I'm a believer, but there's no hope, there's no goal, there's no end result that you're expecting God to do. If you're not imagining and you're not asking, you don't have hope. And there's nothing for your faith to work on. So listen to this. This is from 1 Samuel. <clears throat> Ooh. 1 Samuel chapter 13, there's a lot to this. I'd encourage you to go and read 1 Samuel 13 and 14, actually 12, 13, 14. But, but I'm just cherry-picking some verses to paint you a picture. In verse 2, it says, Saul selected 3,000 special troops and took 2,000 of them to him, uh, with him to Mishmash, Michmash and Mount Bethel, while the other 1,000 remained with Jonathan, Saul's son. So 2,000 with Saul, 1,000 with Jonathan, that's 3,000 soldiers, right? Verse 4, then Jonathan attacked and destroyed the garrison of the Philistines at Geba. The news spread quickly throughout the land of the Philistines, and Saul sounded the call to arms throughout all Israel. Woohoo! There's a battle, and we won. Verse 5, the Philistines, they recruited a mighty army, 3,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and so many soldiers that they were as thick as sand along the seashore. Now, how many did Jonathan and Saul have? There's an overwhelming army that has now been assembled against them. They camped at Michmash, uh, east of beth Avon. And when the men of Israel saw, when they saw, mentioned it a couple times, what are you seeing? Words paint pictures. Words produce images. What are we using our imagination on? When the, when the men of Israel saw the vast mass of enemy troops, they lost their nerve entirely. Do you not see that it is what you see and how you perceive what you see that will cause you to lose your confidence, your faith, or your nerve? Which is why you need to be so full of the word of God in this day. So that in, when, when that competing and conflicting voice begins to speak to you, those lies become, they, they begin to attack your thinking and your mind begin to paint pictures of, of defeat that God's word rises up in such a way that you don't see defeat, but you see victory. Praise God. So where am I at? Verse 7. Some of them, uh, uh, they lost their nerve entirely and they tried to hide in caves and thickets and coverts among the rocks and even in tombs and cisterns. Some of them crossed the Jordan River and escaped to the land of Gad and Gilead. Meanwhile, Saul stayed at Gilgal, and those who were with him trembled with fear at what awaited them. Their, their imagination was causing them to be afraid. Their imagination was saying, we're going to get kicked. We're going to get destroyed. We're going to get our backsides beaten. They're going to kill us. Saul makes a couple of mistakes. Read about it. Verse 19. There were no blacksmiths at all in the land of Israel in those days, for the Philistines wouldn't allow them for fear of their making swords and spears for the Hebrews. There, were no, there was no ability to produce the weapons that they would need. Verse 22, 
So there was not a single sword or spear in the entire army of Israel that day, except for Saul's and Jonathan's. Now they have had at least 3,000 soldiers and two swords against thousands of chariots and horsemen and so many soldiers that it was like the sand on the seashore. How many of you know that that's impossible? Can't be done. Cannot defeat an army like that. It is impossible, but maybe, maybe. Go over to chapter 14 and verse one. A day or so later, Prince Jonathan said to his young bodyguard, come on. Let's cross the valley to the garrison of the Philistines. But he didn't tell his father that he was leaving. A couple more verses, things happen. Verse 6. Yes, let's go across to those heathens, Jonathan had said to his bodyguard. Perhaps, maybe, perhaps the Lord will do a miracle for us. And I've I've preached this many times, but more from the idea of the ministry of helps and and the honor of this this armor bearer, this person that that was so in tune with the heart of Jonathan. He was like, you know what? I don't care what you say. I don't care what I'm going to follow you. I'm going with you. I'm going to do whatever it is. I'm going to do your bidding. Never seen it from this person. In fact, I have even put myself in the armor bearer's sandals, and I'm like, you know what? I would prefer to go on something more than perhaps. I would like a little bit more assurance than, hey, maybe God will show up. Yeah, maybe not. Maybe we're going to end up dead. (laughs) Yes, let's go across to those heathen Jonathan had said to his bodyguard. Perhaps the Lord will do a miracle for us. For, this is what Jonathan knew, it makes no difference to him how many enemy troops there are. Fine, the youth replied. I don't know if it was like, fine. I think it was like, yeah. Yeah. I get it. The youth replied, do as you think best. I'm with you, heart and soul, whatever you decide. And they advanced and they went to the enemy. And it turned out that God confounded them. All kinds of things began to happen. And they went about killing one another. The Philistines killed each other. Saul saw the battle going on and said, ooh, something's going on over there. Praise God. And it all started with a maybe. It all started with a Maybe which is why I'm talking to you this morning. This is something that every single, some of you have been convinced because the the enemy's been at your table and you're thinking your faith isn't big enough. You're thinking your belief isn't strong enough. You're looking at all the reasons that you can't. You're looking at all the reasons why it could never be. And you're missing the big reason that God is on your side. That God can do immeasurably above all that you ask or all that you think, but you've been afraid to ask. You've been afraid to imagine. And I'm telling you that spirit of fear has to stop. So that spirit of fear has to stop. It is our faith that begins to activate the power of God. And it is that faith that is generated because we have hope. We have a maybe in our life. Romans 1.16 says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. The gospel. The gospel is the good news. If you've been around Christianity and all you hear is bad news, you're not hearing the gospel. If you're hearing that God doesn't like you, if you're hearing that God is mad at you and that God is angry, then you're not hearing the gospel because the gospel's good news. The gospel is that there is a Savior that loves you. There is a Savior that died on a cross for you. And there is a Savior (laughs) that has done everything he can possibly do to save you, to change your life. I'm not ashamed, Paul said, of the gospel of Christ because it's the power of God. 
You want to know where God's power is? Right here. And if you don't have this and aren't trying to hide it, as the psalmist said, in your heart, you're going to be powerless. Doesn't matter how sincere you are, you will be powerless. The Old Testament, God said, my people are destroyed because they have a lack of knowledge. They don't know. There's a lot of ways for us to know today. I'm concerned when people know more about current events than they do about Bible events. When people know more about politics than they do what the Bible says. When people know more about, about financial institutions and markets than they do know what the Bible says. The reason we have a powerless church is because we have, and I'm not talking about this church, but the capital C church is because we don't have enough of this. Hello. If you can't say amen, say oh me. Not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it's the power of God. But notice what's, who it's the power of God to. It is the power of God to those who believe. To those who believe. To those who believe. To those who are bold enough to say, maybe. Maybe I could be a blessing in my neighborhood. Maybe I could see my neighbors one to Christ. Maybe I could be debt free. Maybe I could leave an inheritance to my kids instead of a bunch of debt. Maybe. Because none of those things are too hard for God. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? In fact, I want you to stand with me. If you're here this morning, first of all, and you've never made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, you've never been born again, and you would like to today, I want to pray a simple prayer with you. You might have thought that you're a person of faith, but you're not a person of faith until you have surrendered your life to Jesus. Paul said that, that if we believe in our heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, if we confess with our mouth that he is Lord, we shall be saved. It is us speaking and praying that brings the life of God into our hearts. If you're here this morning with your heads bowed, eyes closed, you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life. You've never, as it says in Romans uh, 1.16, that, that it's the power of God to salvation. You've never experienced that and you want to. Would you raise your hand real high? I want to pray with you this morning. Simple, simple prayer. Just hold your hand up for just a moment. Hallelujah. Yes, sir, thank you. Anyone else this morning? Anyone else this morning? Thank you, Lord Jesus. Would you all pray this prayer with me? Online, the same thing. There's people available that will pray with you as well. Uh, if you want to make Jesus the Lord of your life, we'd love to know about that. Pray this with me. Heavenly Father, I believe in Jesus. I believe the gospel. You sent Jesus to die for me. His blood has made me right with you. I received Jesus today. I confess him as my Savior and my Lord. I thank you today. My sin is forgiven. And your life is in me now. In Jesus' name, amen. One more thing I want you to do, and then I'm going to let you go. Just, just for a moment, would you just, I hear Pastor Josh playing I Surrender All. Would you go ahead and just continue to play that, uh, Josh, and... Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Here's what I would like you to do this morning. Some of you have been living in fear. You have allowed fear to dominate your thoughts. You've allowed fear to dominate your life. Some of it is well-placed, but most of it is misplaced. You're afraid of things that you don't need to be afraid of. You're afraid of things that God said, I'll take care of. 
And as Josh is playing this song, this is what I sense the Spirit of God saying, I want you to surrender it. Surrender the fear. Let go of the fear. Let go of the images. Let go of the thoughts of failure, of, of insurmountable odds. Let go of those things. Secondly, for those of you that are, have thought about what's impossible to me, what is it that's impossible? I want you to surrender the impossibility. I want you to surrender the thing that seems too difficult, too big, too hard. Surrender it into the hands of God and say, God, maybe, maybe you will move. Maybe you will work. Maybe, maybe I'm going to trust you because I know that I can't do it in myself. So just lift your hands this morning. Let's have a little bit of a letting go today. Oh, Father, we worship you this morning. Father, we let go today. We let go today. Father, we've been trying. We've been working. We've been laboring. We've been toiling. Father, we let go of it today, and we trust you. I thank you, Heavenly Father, that you're re releasing fear in people's life even right now, that you're setting them free. I thank you that you're bringing healing into bodies today. I thank you, Father God, that even right now you are touching bodies, whether in this room or online. I thank you, Heavenly Father, that sickness and disease bows its knee to the name of Jesus. I thank you that fear and oppression, depression has to go in the name of Jesus. I thank you, Heavenly Father, that impossible has to bow its knee to the name of Jesus and the word of God. And so, Father, we're going to ask you for the impossible. We're going to dream about the impossible possible. We are going to believe that from this church, we can reach our neighborhoods. From this church, we are going to fill other churches with young people that are full of the word of God, who can minister effectively. We thank you, Father, that every need, every debt is, is taken care of in this house in Jesus' name. And Father, we believe you. We believe you. We trust you. And we declare this morning, there's not one thing that is impossible to you. And maybe, ha, maybe, We'll see you work in ways ha, that we think today mm, are impossible. But in the next season of our life, we'll realize that faith has caused the impossible to become just another way, another day of life. We thank you for that. So, Father, I thank you for this congregation. I thank you that you anoint and empower them as they go to their workplaces, as they go to their homes, as they go wherever they go, that they go with light, life, and love of Jesus. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. God.